Well, I got a new nickname, Sucker. <laughs> Not too bad. Um, you ever feel like that would describe you? Have you ever walked into something that you really felt, oh, man, what in the world did I get myself into? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, it's like uh, I, Robin's been one of my favorite preachers for 40-some-odd years, and I felt like his message last week was key and inspired and uh, one of the best things I'd ever heard him say. But the week before that, I heard this young man uh, preach one of the most profound messages I'd ever heard him preach. And if you want to go back and listen to some messages, you need to go all the way back and hear what Byron said a couple of weeks ago. So I'm a double sucker this morning, you know. I'm up here and I don't know what in the heck I'm going to say yet. I walked in thinking I had an idea and it just, the Lord said, huh uh Help us. <laughs> help me help you. I, I, Byron, my, my prayer is I don't want to do any damage to this church, okay? Because I feel really honored to be a part of this church. I, I, I can say that with, with, with all my heart. It, it is an honor and a privilege to be associated with you people. I mean, there's, uh, there's people here that... Uh, have a tremendous future and destiny on them. And there's people that are walking in the blessings and favor of God that are out there. This is one of the few churches I know of where, you know, we come together to worship the Lord together and to celebrate His goodness together. And, and, and we feed off of that presence of God that we're always in quest of. But there are multitudes of you guys that are going out there in the streets and doing the ministry. You know, that's what the church is supposed to be about. We come together to get stronger and to get equipped to go out and do the work of the ministry. And I can look out on this congregation and I know some of your lives and some of the things that you're doing. And you're out there. That's where the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ is at. It's outside of the walls of the building we congregate in. It's wonderful. And then we got these, these uh, elders that just got some of their reward in heaven stolen from them. You know, because I have it on, I have it on good biblical grounds that that which you do for the Lord in secret you get a re- an eternal reward for and that which you do that other people find out about you may have already gotten all you're going to get off of that. So being on the platform is not always all it's cracked up to be. Because some of these people that are out there doing their stuff unseen are building up a treasure in heaven. I know a young man who the, the Lord spoke to me not long ago, and, he said, and the Lord said to me about this guy. He said, he believes he's a good man, but he does not know that he's a great man. He's sitting here today. You know what the Lord says about you, whether other people call you a sucker or not, (laughs) is what's important. So the only things I know that I'm supposed to tell you about this morning are Guy Noir and a gut truck. I doubt very many people have the vaguest idea where I'm going with that one. Um, I tore, you know, uh, those of you who do know me know that I have always been intrigued by the art of storytelling. Uh, Jesus was a great storyteller. He could tell a story, we call them parables, but as he told his story, 
It was hidden from those that weren't supposed to understand and brought amazing clarity and illumination and revelation to those whom the Father had called into His kingdom. A story has the ability to engage people's attention in a way that preaching just doesn't always accomplish, you know? And it serves its purpose. So I've always been fascinated with storytelling. And so for years, um, my children were tortured on the way home from church because after church... I would rush to my car and turn on uh, uh, the, the local NPR station to listen to Garrison Keillor's program, The Prairie Home Companion. How many of you are old enough to know who Garrison Keillor and The Prairie Home Companion are? I want to encourage the younger generation, you don't really know what you're missing out on. You'd really like it if you tried it. Okay? But there's this recurring uh, little spot in the, um, in the Prairie Home Companion radio show, and it always starts out with the same thing. It always starts out with this. It says, A dark night in a city that knows how to keep its secrets. But one man is still trying to find the answers to life's persistent questions. Guy Noir, Private Eye. And then there comes this little radio play thing, you know. And the Lord spoke to me last May that it was time for me to testify to the things that I had witnessed. And that has put me on this pathway. I'm exploring some writing in one thing or another. And, and um, uh, I also am very purpose-driven. How many of you guys are, feel like that if you don't have a purpose in life, you're missing out. If you're not working actively toward a purpose, you just feel like, well, what's the point? That's where boredom comes in. We have to have a vision for the future. Uh, and, and that provokes... Uh, uh, Deep and persistent questions in our heart, doesn't it? You know, the, the, um, I recently did, lately I've even started doing Facebook. That's, honestly, that's embarrassing for a guy like me to admit publicly. <laughs> but I'm, I'm doing Facebook every day. I mean, I was a Facebook denier for years, you know. And uh, I recently put up this thing. Um, if you were guaranteed, if you had a phone and you could make a call to heaven and God had to answer, how many times have you asked God a question and you didn't feel like you get an answer? Anybody? Well, I've got a few people that are telling the truth. Everybody else is just either too embarrassed to raise their hand or lying in church again. Um, <laughs> But anyway, I said, if you could call God and he had to answer the phone and he had to give you a direct, non-mysterious answer to your question. One that it didn't take you 20 years to figure out what he said. But he would answer you directly, what would that question be? Life's Big question. You know, there was a book, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Does anybody know that book? You know, they ask this computer, you know, what's the answer to the big question? He says, well, come back in seven and a half million years and I'll answer you. And then when they come back, he says the answer to the question is 42. <laughs> it's an interesting little book. What is your big question? What is your big question? To that Facebook query, I got a lot of interesting answers. I really did. I also got some off-the-grid 
responses from old-time friends. One guy was so ticked off by everybody else's answers, he went into a rage. I, one of the responses I got was, uh, why don't dogs live as long as humans? <laughs> this was the response of a lady who's a, a backpacker out in California that goes out into the wilderness and everything. And... Uh, she had a 12-year-old dog that she loved. I mean, really, really loved, who died recently. And uh, my wife lost a black lab once, who got hit by a car, and I thought I'd lost my wife over some dumb dog. <laughs> you know, she cried for weeks. I, I just, I, she was just heartbroken. We lost this, this dog. You know, it's amazing how much people love their dogs. But see, it, it seems like a superfluous question. But this woman had just lost her dog. Another guy answered like this. Why did you create mosquitoes? Man, that's a question, isn't it? That's the one that ticked my friend Billy Bober off. He went into a rage on that. <laughs> he says, you're asking real life questions and therefore he's blinding like this and then he, just, and he claims to be a Christian and he does that kind of thing. What in the world is going on? <laughs> See, he doesn't know what Lewis Burke has been through. Lewis Burke is the guy who responded that way. He's a six foot four, big old burly guy, ex military police that was in Cambodia when the U.S. forces were not supposed to be in Cambodia. They were doing clandestine secret warfare in Cambodia, and he was one of those dudes that was there and came. You know, wasn't supposed to tell anybody he was there. But during that process in the jungle, he met the Lord and fell in love with the Cambodian people. Then years later, Louis Burke and his precious little wife took their children to Cambodia as missionaries. And they established an orphanage where they took in kids. And it was successful and they fell in love with this one little Cambodian girl and they actually adopted her. She's their daughter, you know, and, and they planted a church. But over the course of time, and during that period of time, the wife, Kristen, has a motorcycle accident and practically spreads all of her brains off on the in the streets and just barely did recover from a head injury. And, and during that same period of time, their, their son was repeatedly in the hospital with malaria to the point that this big, strapping, athletic young man was going to die if he kept getting malaria over and over again. And so they had to abandon their ministry in an orphanage and in a church to save the life of their oldest son. So see, I'm, I'm reading behind the scenes that question about why on earth are there mosquitoes? Life can get complicated sometimes. Do you know that um, that environmentalists in the United States made the worldwide production of DDT illegal. Does anybody remember what DDT was? DDT was a chemical that was 
rapidly eradicating malaria-killing mosquitoes worldwide. But the environmentalist movement made the production of DDT illegal. When that stopped, and there may have been complicated environmental impacts about thinning out the shells of songbirds, you know, that DDT was harmful in some aspects on the, the environment. But when they stopped the production of DDT, the malaria mosquitoes made a comeback. And literally millions of children have died in Africa since the resurgence of malaria in Africa that was on, on its way out. See, it's complicated. It's complicated. So Lewis is saying, Lord, why did I have to walk away from my calling in life because of malaria? You, you see, his, it wasn't really a trite, lightweight answer. We don't often know the internal struggles that the people sitting next to us are going through. And people deal with those internal struggles in different ways. Some of them make a joke. If you're from Staten Island, you make a joke. All the great comedians are Jewish and from Staten Island. You know, we all know this. Help me, Jesus. I don't know how to make the transition. I, well, I'll just go to the gut truck story. Because that's all I know to do at this point. Oh, man. Now, this is going to make it easy for whoever preaches next week. Did you ever get halfway through a sermon and feel like, oh, God, help me. I don't know where in the world to go. All right, I'm in one of those places. I'm letting you know. I wish you'd have just let me do what I'd thought before, but that ain't the way it works. Um, I am a very purpose-driven guy. And... Um, I think one of the reasons that the Lord called me to the things that he's called me to in missions is something my daddy said about me when I was a kid. Um, for some reason, I, whether out of my own imagination, but I really do believe it's the Lord himself who speaks things to me and shows me things, in such a way that, that it, he calls me to accomplish tasks and purposes that wind up being long-range things and very difficult to accomplish. That has been my track record for 40 years. I would love to swap that out for somebody who gets more rapid Closure to the things that they think they're supposed to do. But I get these long-range things. I can tell you some long-range projects we've been able to accomplish, but I, this morning I want to kind of try to relate it to a long-range project that's still in play. And the reason that I want to go there is because I want to encourage you. I believe part of what Robin said uh, last week is true. You remember the illustration about the raisins? That the promises of God are, are like dried raisins. They're, they, they're shelf-stable. Uh, backpackers like to carry raisins because they're high-calorie and they're stable. They're not going to rot on you. If you're out seven days in the woods, your raisins are still good, you know? Well, there was a phenomenon this year in the Atacama Desert 
in northern Chile. The Atacama Desert in northern Chile is the driest place on earth. It is the absolute driest place on earth. It almost never, ever, ever, ever rains. Going five, ten years without a drop of rain is normal there. This, and you can look this up on, on the internet. The Atacama, spell it just like it sounds in Spanish. Everything spells just like it sounds. Atacama with a C. Okay? The Atacama Desert went into full-fledged bloom. Never in recorded history has it rained so much in the Atacama as it did this year. And lo and behold, unbeknownst to anybody, there were dormant seeds in the sand. I mean, they go there when they're wanting to film Mars, you know, movie things, you know, when they want to show no life exists on this planet. They go to the Atacama because there's not even a shrub. There's no cacti there. There's no little shrub bushes or anything. There's not a stick to be found. It just looks like Mars. They don't have to fix it up. But it rained and poof. The whole floor of the Atacama Desert was covered in beautiful purple wildflowers. Royalty arose from the sands of the Atacama. It was clothed in robes of royalty because the seeds of long forgotten promise lay dormant in the sand and stones. When God promises you something, the more precious this is, the the more purposeful it is, the more beneficial to you and to all mankind, the longer it takes for you to get to the fulfillment of your promise, the more impact it will have on your life and the whole world around you. So if you've got the seeds of long dormant promises still glimmering and waiting in your heart, I want to say something to you. The time of the rain has come. I believe we're entering into a time, a prophetic time, when it will no longer be said as a proverb in Israel that the promise of the Lord tarries, but that this is the time for the promise to spring forth into life and be fulfilled. You know, the one thing I, I love is when somebody recognizes the anointing. We got at least one person over here that recognized that was from the heavens. My daddy used to frequently say to me, and my father was absolutely one of the most influential men in my life. My daddy had more of an impact on who I am. You can either blame him for that or you can applaud him for that. That's up to you. But uh, uh, Larry Faldo was one of the few people here that really knew my dad intimately. Larry and I and my dad and a few others worked together for years in a construction business. And anybody who knew my dad knew he was just a fountain of southern proverbial wisdom. But he would say things in short script that you really had to understand the backstory, like the mosquitoes. Why'd you make mosquitoes? You see, if, if you didn't understand what Lewis Burke's last 10 years had looked like, you wouldn't understand his response. I'd ask the Lord why there are mosquitoes. You know? 
How many of you have something you can blame for having not fulfilled your purpose? Do you understand my question? How many of you can find external excuses for not having walked in all God has for you? There's a question. There's a question. You know, why can't I do what I felt like you told me to do? Um, but, but, but my dad used to say to me frequently when we'd get into a situation, he would say, Jimmy, you're just like a bulldog on a gut truck. I tell you, don't lose your southern heritage. All y'all natives, don't please don't give it up. It's one of the mo- it's one of the richest and most literarily beautiful linguistic traditions extant on the face of the earth today. Okay, I'm gonna paint the picture for you so you can understand Daddy's saying. All right. Um, now, back during the Great Depression. Not everybody could afford to buy filet mignon. Back during the Depression, most people couldn't even afford a thin sliced T-bone steak. So there developed, out of an entrepreneurial spirit during the Depression, these guys who would go in their old beat-up pickup trucks to the slaughterhouses where they were killing the, the beef. And they would take the things that most of you uh, sophisticated Americans <laughs> won't eat. You don't want to eat chitlins. Who wants to eat pig guts? Come on, volunteers. What about some beef tripe? You want to eat some beef tripe? Only Luis is going to raise his hand. You know, how many of you loves beef small intestines like Larry and I do? Pablo! Larry, Luis, Nova, we know what we're talking about. It's called chinchilin in Spanish, man. You get you some beef small intestines and you braid them like they do in Paraguay and you put them over some charcoal and you let those things get crispy on the outside and moist with that inherent veggie sauce that, you know, the cow has slightly reprocessed the grass. And that, that veggie sauce is up in there and there, that is good eating, son. Don't let your American squeamishness uh, cause you to lose out on one of the greatest foods on the planet. And so these guys would go along to the, these slaughterhouses and they would collect the liver. Now, a lot of people, that's a little more common. And, and they would, you know, the heart and the kidneys. Now, if you're British, you'll love the beef kidneys. You know, because you're used to eating them. See, we have this block about anything that our mama didn't give us we don't want to eat. <laughs> but, and they would put them in the truck, and they would go throughout the poorer neighborhoods, and they would sell the guts. And they called that, here, the gut truck. Now, they've disappeared. They've disappeared in America. They don't exist in America. Now, in Paraguay, we still got them. We still got these, uh, these little old ladies, and, and, and they're usually somebody's grandma. They call them las abuelitas. You know, and, and they go around, and they go to the matadero where they're killing the animals, and, and they get the, those really tasty parts. And then they go through the neighborhood with their little burrow, leading their burrow behind, and, uh, you know, and they sell them. Okay, now picture a neighbor friend of my grandfather had a bulldog, a really big, 
vicious bulldog. And one day when the gut truck had pulled up at the back of Grandpa Hill's house to sell some of that uh, beef liver and, and stuff to, to my grandparents during the Depression, the neighbor's bulldog jumped up in the gut truck for obvious reasons. Now, I know all you guys that have these little cute peekapoos, you can't think of anything <laughs> more. Uh, uh, just, oh, that's, that'd be terrible. But I'm telling you, bulldog wanted to be on that gut truck. And nobody could get him off of the truck. He would have eat, He would have bitten his owner. The, everybody, I mean, just picture that. This bulldog's up there, and he's getting fed. You know, he's getting, and nobody's getting him off till he's got his fill. Don't quit. Don't you dare quit. Don't you let anybody drag you off of the promise you've got from God. No matter what the obstacles are, no matter what the opposition looks like, You need to fulfill your purposes. You need to hang in there until every one of those raisins, every one of those promises, those dried up seeds of royalty that are in you come into bloom, come into full bloom. You can't give up. you got to keep going. And I, I, I hope that this somehow encourages somebody. I really do, because this is not a message. I'm just up here, I'm kind of just sharing my heart with you this morning, you know? I hope it does. Um, my more intimate friends, and especially my dear, patient, long-suffering wife, know this to be true. I hope and pray that not a single person in this room goes through as much self-doubt and lack of confidence that I do. Day in and day out, I fight off the demons that tell me, you're a fool. You've believed something that didn't come from God's heart, but it came from somewhere else, and you're deceived. This ain't never going to work out. Idiot, sit down and shut up and never open your mouth again. Does anybody have... Can you relate to that? Stuart. The other night, Stuart and I were at a party. I asked him the big question. What would you ask God if he had to answer you? And he is so eloquent. <laughs> you know, I mean, he just, he, he did not, when he answered that question, sound like a Western North Carolina redneck. <laughs> you know, he, this is how he, he, he phrased his, his uh, eloquent response to my question. He said, am I fully embracing All that I was created for. Isn't that the cry of your heart? Isn't that the cry of our corporate heart? Are we embracing everything we were called to and created for in our lives? I think that really is one of the big questions Am I embracing everything that God had in mind when He chose to create me? By the way, sorry.
I got five minutes. I'm going to tell you some of my current problems. Okay? I got myself into trouble because I believe in this. I believe that this is the generation that God has had online for generations. I believe that. I believe that this generation, and even an old guy like me, is included along with this bunch of beautiful people over here. You know, because I'm still here, so I'm in with you. You can't get rid of me till he sends me home, okay? So I'm here. You're stuck with me. So we're all part of that same generation. There are some key things that caused me to believe that. Did you notice the quality and character and tenor of the, of the songs that we sang this morning? I have lived through the development of contemporary Christian music. There did not exist any contemporary Christian music when Charlie and I came to the Lord. But it has gotten to the point where the songs that we're singing now have the depth and enduring revelation of the old hymns. You know why those old hymns lasted so long? They are jam-packed with glory and revelation of the principles of the kingdom. And for so long, contemporary music was just these little lightweight choruses because we liked the rhythm and the beat and the music and everything, and that was good. But it got us to a place where, man, those songs this morning were talking about the realities of heaven. I've also, in my lifetime, seen the development of this principle. When I was a kid in the local Baptist church in Tuxedo, North Carolina, uh, if someone in that congregation had stood up and said, God spoke to me, and he said, the first thing everybody would do would be to call in the authorities, put him in one of those funny white jackets that tie in the back, and ship him off to the mental health department down in Broughton. Now, it does not matter where you go, whether it's in the most conservative Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, mainline, Catholic, Pentecostal, Charismatic, all of the church of Jesus Christ that know Him believe that God can speak to each individual and give them moment-by-moment directions on how they should proceed with their life. Do you believe that? We have seen that come into being in this generation. Open your eyes. God's up to something. How you see what you see will determine whether you walk in your purpose or you miss it. A word of warning. With everything that you can possibly muster, get your attention off of all negative, angry reports. The Lord said... Go not about with an angry man. If the voices you're listening to are angry, it doesn't matter if there's good justification for their anger or not. If you are saturated in anger rather than hope, you will miss your divine calling in this life. Robin said that last week. I want to reinforce that. Do not let anything remove the hope from your heart. I've got this little pet project. I, uh, in 2004, Buzz the Panic was with me, and we went to this little town way up in the um, Andes Mountains. It's called Arusia. And we drove into this, and you feel like you're going to the end of the world, and you feel like the bus is going to go off the edge. Donald Linda have been there many times. Doug and Ann have been there. A lot of people here have been to Arusia. And you feel like you're going to the end of the world. And our first visit, we came in, it was just getting dark, and, man, you couldn't even see the road. It looked like you were going to drive off one of those most dangerous roads in the world cliffs. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't room for two cars and a bur- or a car and a burrow to pass each other on this little thing. We were in this big old bus going down through there. We get there, and in the night, uh, 
Sonny Miller's her name now. Most people know her as Venus Painter or whatever, you know, but Venus had a dream in the middle of the night that God brought to her a black box. And when we opened up the box and turned it on, thousands and thousands of people came down out of the mountain. Then the next morning we went to the pastor's house and the pastor had heard rumors that Buster Panic was an IBM engineer. And there's this misconception in the world in general that engineers know how to actually do stuff. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, they don't know engineers just draw stuff, you know, or design stuff. They, don't, they, they think they do stuff, you know. And so the pastor had had this little black box. What it was was a shortwave radio, a little CB-style shortwave radio that was broken. And he wanted Buzz to fix his CB radio because he had people that lived 12 hours walk away in a hidden valley way up in the mountains that he couldn't get in contact with very often. And uh, he wanted to know if we could help him reach the people way up in the mountains with shortwave radios. And there was born a vision in me to do that. That was in 2004. I still haven't seen the fulfillment of that. But just like my daddy said, Jimmy, you're like a bulldog on a gut truck. I don't know how much longer. I do not have time allotted to me by Pastor Byron to tell you all of the obstacles we've encountered. We applied for the first civilian shortwave radio license in the history of Argentina because FM and AM won't reach the valleys in the mountains. It's been restricted to military use up until now. We've gotten approval on two levels and it got lost from December the 12th no, December the 16th last year until just two or three weeks ago. About a month ago, a guy that worked, he's the assistant to the secretary of the vice president of Argentina, takes interest in our project, finds our papers and starts working it through the chain of command to get approval for a radio station. And my little heart's going, yippee! We're going to do this going to do this thing, we're going to do this thing, and then Argentina has an election. And a whole new government comes in, and the guy who wanted to help us is fired. So, how do you react? How many of you have felt like you were on the cusp of walking in the fulfillment of your destiny and then have something just smack you right down? Have you done that? Have you done that? Am I the only fool that just keep that's going to say, well, if the, and, and this is what I'm basing it on. I'm going to read this. Have I got five minutes? It's 12 o'clock on the dot. It might take five minutes and I'll be out of here. A few years ago, I was doubting whether I should... A few years ago, I was doubting whether I was ever going to do this thing or not. And I was in my office one morning. It was about this time of year. And I was reading through the traditional Christmas scriptures to prepare a message. And uh, I read this. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. In that moment, I had a visionary experience. I saw clearly an Andean goat herder 
huddled in the midst of a storm in one of the little stone shelters they seek refuge in. It's just a little shepherd's hut. Basically what that amounts to is a stack of stones in a semicircle with one little slit open door facing down the hill so he can keep an eye on his flock and bushes laid over the top to help keep the wind out. And I saw this Andean guy sitting there and tears streaming down his face because he had not heard the good news of Jesus Christ yet. And I began to weep and I wept for I don't even remember how long. But I felt like the Lord said, my purpose is, the reason I came is that the good news that I carry is for all people. I took that as uh, keep on going like a bulldog on a gut truck, Jimmy. Don't give up. And if I've got anything to say, I think what the Lord was wanting to say to a lot of you who are on the verge of giving up on what you believe to be your calling, that you're on the verge of saying, well, this is not working out the way I thought it would, and it's not working out when I thought it would, I want to encourage you, keep going. Because we live in the season of the fulfillment of long dormant promises. This is the season for the fulfillment of long dormant prophecies and promises in your life. Do not surrender them to hopelessness. Do not be diverted by anger or fear about what's going on around you or your fears for the future. Keep steadfast. Keep going because it's almost here. Don't you believe that? I believe it's almost here. I believe it's almost here. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. You're going to be a blessing to many people. This congregation is going to bless the nations. This congregation is just now beginning to put its toes into the water of the influence that it will have internationally. Don't you be afraid of the open door that's about ready to open up before you, darling. You be brave. You go through that door. You got a big door just about ready to open up for you. Thanks. Well, that was a great word, wasn't it? How many feel kind of, kind of shook up? A little bit in a good way. Anybody? How many people in this room have, you feel like you already gave up? Anybody felt that? I gave up. The message was too late. Actually, it wasn't. The message wasn't too late for you, even if you'd already given up. Even years ago, this morning, the Lord is offering a new opportunity for you. Amen? So, uh, you know, normally we have, always when we have a guest, uh, guest speaker, we receive an offering for them. And usually when Jim preaches, I just give him some money out of our, our normal budget. But I was, when he was preaching, I was saying, we should, we should take up an offering for Jim this morning. So uh, I'm going to do that. If you want to give, I know it's Christmas. You probably done bought all these presents. And if you ain't got but a dollar to put in, that would be good. But we want to bless him, and all this will go to Jim. Amen. That was awesome, man. I'm, I, feel, I feel a little shook on the inside, to tell you the truth. I really do. I think that was really the Lord. And those pictures they were showing up. Show those pictures again, if you didn't catch the picture. There's two pictures. One is the, uh, the desert. Yeah, whatever that is, you know, something. Some kind of desert. And the other one was the deserts will bloom, uh, which is just awesome when it did bloom. It's really, they'll get it while we take up the... Offering. Woo, thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for there's the desert. Well, there it is. <laughs> Isn't that something? It does look kind of like Mars. That's amazing. 
and they have one more after the desert bloomed, like Jim, I think that was really a great visual for what God wants to do in our lives. Is there's the there's the blooming, and that beautiful. It's amazing that something like that could actually happen. There's so many people. I don't think there's a soul in this room that doesn't have some kind of promise in their heart that they felt like may never happen, or just wondered if was this really God that said this. I don't think anybody in this room could say they don't have that. If you could say that, you're probably lying to yourself to protect your heart because of the pain of promises unfulfilled. So, Lord, thank you this morning that you're a God of your word. Help us to be people that can somehow see every promise, every word spoken in our life come to pass, Lord. Mm, thank you, Lord. Well, we're going to have the worship, the ministry team come up. If, if we can get the ministry team to come on up, I'm, and we want to pray for you this morning. Uh, if you want to be prayed for about what Jim shared um, or anything else, it would be really a good time to receive some more from the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, Lord. Help it. Lord, I, I pray this. I pray that we would start seeing right. That was good, Jim, what you said about the way we see things. Lord, we want to see it the way you see it. We want to see this time the way we, that you see it, not the way the world sees it or religion sees it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, let me give you a, my favorite benediction thing. The Lord bless you and keep you. Amen. The Lord let his face shine on your face. Woo, yeah, Lord. Your face, Lord. Because your face is beautiful. Mm, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Ooh. Yeah. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to do that. The face of God becomes so real in our hearts today, Lord. That we would see you, Lord, and we would know you are with us. And it would cause our hearts to come alive, Lord, in a new way. Lord, we ask you today would be the beginning of the greatest move of God we have ever experienced. The greatest revival that we've ever experienced. The greatest awakening that today would begin to break forth, Lord. And we would get in deep with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Amen.